Welcome to the Les Spellman Podcast, where we redefine how athletes develop speed by giving them the tools to play faster. First, like, tell me about everything you got going on up there and what you got going. Um, you know what? We, uh, you know, you and I met in California. I loved it there, and I was working in uh, professional hockey. Um as the head of performance for the Anaheim Ducks, which isn't too far from uh, where we met. And, uh, you know, we loved it there, but ultimately that job is uh, very time-consuming and it took me away from my family a lot. So when I got an opportunity to kind of get out on my own terms, it was uh, it was one that I took. And, uh, you know, we were thinking about staying in California. I had a couple of different things I could do, but ultimately being back home is you know, where my family wanted to be. And we've never, we haven't really had support with our kids in a long, long time. And now we do. So that's a bit of a game changer. You'll, you'll see that as you continue to grow to your family. Um, I'm saying it now. The support is, uh, is massive. And I kind of forgot that, you know, so I have my facilities, uh, ETS, uh, elite training systems in Ontario. That's the East coast of Canada or closer to the East coast. I have, um, three facilities there. Uh, real pretty fortunate that we've built out some pretty kind of long-standing relationships with contractual obligations and what have you. So, um, but I moved my family to the west coast of Canada, in uh, Kelowna, British Columbia, um, for a couple of reasons. I have business out here. Um, I do some consulting with a hockey academy that is uh, uh, does a ton of business out there as way across uh, Canada, mm-hmm. and then it's a hotbed for hockey players in the off season, you know, similar to Orange County. And, ah, uh, makes sense. Yeah. So I had some clients here that were kind of bugging me to do something out here and it's the closest to California as you're going to get in Canada. So lots of, uh, mountains and water and, uh, wineries and whatever. So we just decided to set up shop here and, you know, that's, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Um, I got my hands in a lot of different things, which, uh, is good at that, as you know. And, uh, learning that. yeah. And, uh, yeah, just trying to kind of continue on and, and build some new business and build some business outside of traditional S and C and what have you just to, you know, as you know, there's no re- real retirement plan. If you're on the private side, it's kind of, uh, you know, build, uh, build it however you can and, and make sure it's, uh, you know, robust and, uh, sustainable. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And, and, um, it's cool. I, it seems like it was so long ago. We did draft training together and had a really good success with the guys. Could you talk kind of towards like the planning process that we had for combine from your, from your point of view and how you guys were thinking about organizing the structure and building that out for combine, but also for off season. Yeah, it was, um, it was my first kind of experience with that NFL like combine prep, that was definitely something new to me. And, uh, you know, getting to work with you and, uh, Chad, our mutual friend, um, was, you know, something I was jumped at, you know, you know, something I jumped at, sorry, because I just a different experience. You know, I, I took on, you know, some clients that I maybe wouldn't have taken on regularly, uh, during my last kind of year in California. And they ended up being, just like the combine thing was, you know, some of my best experiences, you know, something kind of outside of what I normally do. Um, you know, so when we sat down with Chad initially and we just started talking about, you know, the, how it's going to go, whatever, 
a lot of it, to be honest, was just, you know, we didn't even know what we were going to get, you know, and I know you've been through it a bunch of times, but you know, and Chad, I think has been through it more than me, but still not as much, you know, so that I think part of it was just trying to, okay, like, Hey, if we get guys in on this date, here's what we're going to do. If we get guys here, here's what we're going to do. It was a lot of like having a whole bunch of scenarios in our heads and at least, you know, communicating about those scenarios to really, you know, make sure that we gave every participant a good experience, you know, and, and made it as thorough as possible. And I think Chad did a really good job, you know, at that as he was kind of on site more than me and, you know, just adaptability. And I, I think that's the way training has to be now, you know, as you can, like you get guys that, or girls that, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm here for three weeks or I'm here for two weeks. And, you know, even Burrow came in kind of late with us and it's like, well, you know, you, you could sit back as a traditional strength coach and say, Oh, we got to like, we got to start here and we got to do this. It's like, well, too bad, man. Like you got, here's your time, get it done. You know? And I think that's one of the things that it reinforced with me is that none of that shit matters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In the perfect world, you got, you know, we're, we're doing our summer programs here and it's like 14 weeks. There's going to be maybe two guys that fall into the 14 week cycle. Right. The majority of it is going to be, you know, if we're lucky eight to 10, Yeah, maybe eight, you know? So it's like your best laid plans is, is, are not always going to get executed on. So I think that, you know, first and foremost, that was an eye opener for me on the, excuse me, on the football side. And and also not putting enough stock in the fact that all those guys are coming from different schools. Yeah. And like different, I never realized how vastly different. <laughs> yeah. And, and nothing, nothing negative, just, you know, a guy that came, went, or, uh, came to us from Tennessee compared to a guy that came from um, Utah and a guy that came from school I'd never heard of to Hawaii, like nobody, it was like, nobody spoke the same language, right? Like, oh, we never squatted or, oh, all we did was Olympic lift or, you know, all we did was, you know, velocity based training, whatever. And I was just like, holy shit. Like how, how do we go about grouping these guys into stuff that they can actually, not that they can't do it, but you know, again, you got a snapshot of time. So it's like, we got to get super basic, right. And, and just phase it in that sense. And I think that's what, you know, our, our programming kind of spoke to is, you know, Hey, we're going to pull so you can trap bar, you can, you know, pull from the rack, you can do this. Like you're, there was a drop down menu of, you know, things you could do as an athlete to accomplish the goal from a programming perspective. And I thought that was smart because man, there was a myriad of like, abilities, you know, from the football side, guys who had never done X, Y, and Z and guys who had only done X, Y, and Z. So that I was kind of floored by that, to be honest, because hockey is a little bit more, you know, everybody kind of, you know, there's not that there's one way to do it, but as you know, with NCAA, like you could spend four years at a top school and, and never learn how to hang clean or, or, you know what I mean? Like, Maybe that's a bad example, but you know what I'm saying? There's, there's that's a, very bad one. Like a lot of guys don't. There's a lot of won't learn. Or like it seems like there's a lot of polarization in, in college where 
people are very, very heavily on one side. It's like we only do velocity based training or we only do heavy lifting or we only do like bodybuilding. It's, it's crazy. It's like people adopt one, one philosophy, it seems sometimes. And, and, and run out. so it, we saw like guys that were, I remember being in the gym and they'd be like, oh, my coach told me to never do that. Yeah. <laughs> it would be something like a M or something. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Which is bizarre, you know, like to me, it, being a coach means you have to, you're the ultimate uh, uh, picture of adaptability, in my opinion, right? Like if I don't adapt to, you know, someone who's, Six six, three hundred and ten pounds compared to someone who's six one, one ninety five. Like, you have to adapt. You you can't all fit those guys into the same bucket, you know. And any of the football guys that I've usually dealt with have been, you typically veteran guys, and or injured. You know, they're like badly injured. They're coming off an injury, and that's usually where, you know, I, you know, doctors and therapists and stuff that I work with that will include me in that recovery process or whatever. So to have all these guys coming in for combine, you know, young, healthy, you know, like kind of on the other end of it to some degree was also a cool part of it. And, you know, the, it, I think it kind of spoke to, again, the adaptability of the programming and making sure that, you know, we are filling all those buckets of speed, strength, power. We were matching it with what you were doing on the field and you know, I, I, I was always trying to get out to the field just to see what you were doing because, you know, for me, that's, it's like same thing in hockey. Like I always make sure that I can, I know what they're doing on the ice, either before they get to me or after, like, that's a big part of it. And, yeah. you know, I think that was a good part about the communication that we had was just, we always knew what was going on. You know, we always knew what windows we had to kind of, you know, Hey, we can, we can kind of get them a little bit today if we need to. Yeah, you know, we can add a little bit if, or we can take some off because of what they did or whatever. And yeah. I know in speaking with some of the guys, like that was, that was definitely part of it that they did like, you know, with the fact that there was, there was always crossover, you know, they could see you, your staff in the gym class and you know, Chad spent more time than I did on the field, but I did spend, you know, I always made sure to pay attention to what you guys were doing just because it's, you know, it's part of being a coach, right? Like you see those guys come through the door and, if they're gassed every single time, it's like, well, my red flags are starting to go up. It's like, you know, you know, that balance or that rhythm, whatever you want to call it, has to exist, especially with such a condensed event like the combine, which is I've been to it a few times and is probably the most intense thing I've ever been at. You know, right. a lot. There's just a lot going on, you know, and I think that was uh it was interesting because that you know, the hockey part of that, and that's why I keep referring back to, because that's where I were, and then it's, it was just different. And I played football, so, like, I like that. You know, I like the football environment. It was, you know, when it was bench day, I've never seen guys more excited to do bench, you know what I mean? Like, it was, uh, you don't really get that too much in this sport, so it was... Uh, yeah, well, like, what, how's hockey from a, I mean, first like a global perspective, like environment, but... How do, how do you plan your microcycles and how do you plan your, your structure? Like, how is it different than football? Well, you know what? I think first and foremost, like lifting is a part of football, you know, like, you know, field work, sprinting, lifting, like that's all kind of ingrained in, in the football. Whereas, um, 
I think in, in hockey, it's still not there. You know, it's obviously a lot better than it used to be, but, um, you know, the old joke, you know, you can score goals from the gym, you know, that's still used, you know, that's still used by, you know, hockey executives and, and whatever, which is stupid in my opinion, because it, it speaks to, you know, neglecting preparation, you know, more than anything, especially with the, the travel schedule of an NHL team now, which is just insane. You know, there was a stretch there when I was with the Ducks, you know, 17 days on the road or 21 days on the road. I think we played 12 to 13 games. We practiced like it was just ri ridiculous. Like you, you can't, you can't even imagine getting into a hotel room at 2 a.m. We got to play the next day. I like, guess just you talk about you know tough conditions for recovery and you know, maximizing performance. Or you know, news is you, you better you better understand the sport and you better understand what guys need and, and what have you. And I think that's you know comparatively with football, it's it's more like there's there's such a part of lifting and football that are so ingrained, whereas hockey really doesn't have that. Like again, it's getting a lot better. Guys are starting to understand that, but there's, I still, I still think there's a bit of a miss there in terms of that. So, you know, when it comes to planning, for me, it's really dependent on the type of athlete that I have. If I know it's a guy that will do the right things and, you know, be a pro, you know, it, it revolves around what that player needs, similar to what you would do as well, right? It's, there's not as many positions, obviously, with hockey, like there's, you know, defense, offense, and goalies. I would say that I don't work with as many goalies just because they're uh, like kickers almost, right? They're kind of uh, the odd ducks of the sport. Um, you know, the ones that I have worked with have been incredible athletes uh, just in terms of like raw natural ability, but not guys that are real dialed into training necessarily. You know, so um, the guys that I would work with is, um, a little more nuts and bolts, a little simpler for the most part, just like, you know, a, a forward player, whereas the body types in football vary so much, you know, like just the mass of guys compared to a skill position guy or, or whatever. Whereas in hockey, they're a little bit more normal in terms of stature and size and what have you. So I think it opens up the door to, you know, just kind of exploring some different movements, different range of motion, you know, what have you, getting a little more creative. And that's what I find myself doing now because it's you're dealing with a population that not necessarily the uh, the majority of them that are real crazy about training, you know, like real crazy about, you know, lifting weights. There's a big thing now with with guys that don't want to get too big, you know, and it's ridiculous because they're not going to get too big. But that's kind of you've had some of these old school coaches that have kind of scared off some of these guys in hockey. Um which again is, is kind of ridiculous, but it's changed my training because, you know, I have to adapt to the athlete to some degree. Right. And we'll just, you know, we, we end up doing more movement work, more field work, you know, more sprinting, you know, because I think that's a, the game is so much faster now. So we end up kind of leaning towards like just open field work more, you know, and, you know, more manual resistance stuff, more band work more. And again, I'm from a football background, so I know the value of lifting. But I also know the value of, you know, making sure the client is getting what they need, right? And making sure that we're still, I can just, you know, like any good coach, you can disguise stuff in training that they don't really know why they're doing what they're doing necessarily every single time. So it's, I think there's a, 
touch of creativity there as well in terms of how do you get the athlete to do what you know they need to do and making sure that they're still enjoying it because that's something that, you know, like I said, if you go into a football environment, it's like, yeah, they know they have to lift. They know they have to be X, but hockey's just not like that. There's guys that still get away with very minimal training. Um, it catches up with them, of course, but it's a little bit tougher when it comes to that buy-in. Makes sense. How, um, one of the biggest like hot topics now is like sprinting for ice hockey. Mm-hmm. People ask me all the time, like, what would you do? And I'm like, I actually have no idea. Um, I just, from like a physiological standpoint, I would, I know how to program it, but from a technical standpoint, like how important is the technical side and how would you do, or how have you done speed work for hockey? I think you talked to Mike Boyle, right? At, at yeah. The yeah. yeah. I'm, Mike's been a mentor of mine for forever, you know, so he's one of the, if not the go-to guy in hockey, which rightfully so, um, you know, and he's done a ton of this, you know, research and, you know, in the, in the trenches research, you know, with figuring shit out and it's, it's helped a lot with the rest of us type thing. I've been going to see him since I was working for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, 15 years ago. And, um, it's, well, first of all, hockey players are atrocious sprinters for the most part and runners right? because the, uh, yeah. you would cringe, um, Actually, sorry, they are getting better, but historically very bad sprinters um, because back in the day, you know, a lot of the hockey conditioning work was done on a bike. Yeah. You know, one of my first clients, Adam Foote, was a guy who won everything, Olympic gold medal, Stanley Cups, very mean, you know, very strong. He could ride a bike for 80 minutes at the most grueling pace you've ever seen. But if you asked him to sprint, it'd be a different story, right? So... It's just how the sport has evolved now where sprinting is seen as a, you know, as a needed attribute, right, to some degree. But for me personally, I don't, I don't go overkill with like actual, actual technical cueing yeah. other than maybe like three or four cues. And, and most of them just come from shin angle. They come from, you know, uh, I call it like positional strength, yeah. you know, like coming out of a lateral position you know, turning the hips over into a sprint and then just managing upper body, you know, and and I know that's super general, but you get a lot of the hockey guys because of the posture is so rolled forward in gameplay and practice. So their posture is here, you know, they they end up running like this. They run and you can see kind of all their neck muscles are tired and they're clenching their jaw. Like if I, if I can alleviate that a little bit it changes their form drastically as you can imagine right like and i refer to like hey you ever watch the olympics you watch you know um i can't remember who a fast guy is right now but they walk they run with they smooth as fast right you have to be smooth you have to be relaxed to be fast and i think just some of those simple things alone to somebody who's you know holding tension and you know, trying to grind their way through a sprint instead of move well through it and, and, you know, frequency and strength or, uh, stride frequency and length, as opposed to, you know, grinding through it, like I said, will change the whole dynamic of the sprint. Right. So I think keeping it simple and, and not, not trying to make them something they're not, you know, and overkill on, you know, hand position and perfect, I like guess just not going to work, you know, 
hey, if, if I get a guy or a group of guys that are into it, I'll go a little bit deeper for sure. You know, we'll, you know, talk about some more. Another thing is toe pulling, right? They all, they all run like this because their anterior tibs are so weak from being locked in a carbon fiber skate boot. You know, right. So a lot of guys at the start of the off season get some shin splints and, you know, you know, stuff like that. So we'll do a lot of like barefoot stuff early on, ankle mobility, flexibility stuff early on, tib fib stuff early on. Totally um, not have to deal with that because their their front shank is so like underused and even like underdeveloped. You see hockey guys have no calves. It's crazy. That's so true. It's like a lot of um I mean a lot of the research we're doing in sprinting is based around swing leg retraction, how the leg contacts the ground, contact lines, which obviously on the ice you don't have a lot of swing leg retraction. You don't have contact time. So how does it transfer to to health building? You know what? Like there isn't there's a couple of folks that are doing some, you know, research with, you know, with speed, Devin McConnell from uh uh, he's used to be with uh, UMass Lowell and, and then Jersey and Nash with Arizona. Got it. He did talk. He does a lot of uh, on ice research. He has the you know the time to do that with his title or whatever. And uh, Matt Price from the LA Kings, who's a guy I should definitely connect you with. Yeah. Um, he's doing a lot of that as well. And you know, if if it was me and Mike Boyle talking about this, I think he would say something similar. And it revolves around. If a hockey player can sprint fast off the ice, nine times out of ten, they're going to sprint fast on the ice. Makes sense. And I'm assuming that's extensor, hip extensor strength has a lot to do with that. I think so. I think it's it's kind of like that, you know, tracking. Yeah, like it's just if you see someone off the ice who just you know struggles with, you know, even those little bit of technical cueing. And you go on the ice and it's like, yeah, they're just, it's just sloppy or it's not efficient or it's whatever. And it's this learning how to skate or changing someone's stride is so difficult because we get them at, you know, they're already a professional, right? So yes, they need to work on their skating or, or whatever, but they've already learned how to skate. Like you can't, you can't go back. Right. So I think for me, and my son's nine and he's, you know, getting into hockey now and he's whatever he's playing like crazy. And it's like, I've been so focused on making sure that he's a good skater, you know, and not that I have any, you know, grand. And, and, and what is a job? What is a good skater? Like how is there, what are the kinematics of like a good skate stride? Is there like a technical model for skating the way they're sprinting? Yes, there is, but it's not as concrete as sprinting. I think cause it's, been so many good sprinters and like you see a lot of the same qualities in those you know good sprinters whether it's like um you know length and frequency correlation or you know whatever any of the stuff that Dan Paff talks about you know that just that smoothness skating yes but I think a, a couple common things are body position you know the best skaters are just that lower to the ground right they understand where they need to be to actually put force into the ice you know to really propel themselves as opposed to you know being on top of the ice if that makes sense they understand getting into the ground and like pushing the ground away um i think the other thing too is just using the right muscles and it sounds super simple but 
you know, when you extend the leg at the hip, like is the glute firing and supporting that, you know, do you have hip stability or is it just jelly? You know, like, are you, can you, when you put your foot in the ground, does that grab, you know, does that give you the power? And you'd be surprised like professional guys at the start of our off season that just can't do that. Like a simple wall drill, like a sprinting wall drill that just, they can't eventually they do obviously, but it's, um, yeah, I, I think those, you know, simple qualities that you would probably across the board say, you know, really good low position yeah. ability to, you you know, fire that backside and really that, that, that's where it's coming from. You know, you see hockey guys with big quads and no ass, yeah. that's a problem, you know, because they're, they're skating with their quads. They're not able to sustain it because their quads fill up and they just can't keep doing it and it, it becomes super inefficient, um, you know, and I think that's, you know, those two qualities alone would make a substantial difference, but it's, well, it becomes very difficult because all these kids are learning how to skate. Like there's no curriculum on how to skate. You know, there's no, there's commonalities, but they're very, it's a great thing. You know what I mean? Like if you can find a really good coach really young, that's massive. Yeah. What, why are they using speed skating coaches? I spent some time with us speed skating and I was at Andrew. Um, this was in um oh before Park City. Okay. He's in Galley. Um Yeah, because speed skating is just different. Like to be honest, along the best hockey uh skate instructors are from figure skating. Got it. Yeah, I work with um when I was with Toronto with Barb Underhill and she still works for the Leafs. And I still work with one of her partners, Tracy Tutton, who they had like, this is a long time ago, but they were one of the first people I've seen using dart fish, you know, and yeah, 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 exactly. Technical, you know, so, and she was also one of the first to, you know, relate it to the gym. Like I'm the first person that she wanted to talk to because it's like, this guy can't get low enough and he can't get into his glutes. And I'm like, oh man. And in the skate part, yeah, similar to. I would say from a velocity standpoint, point, it seems like it would be similar to basketball where early acceleration is a lot more important than peak yeah. velocity. Um, do they, in hockey, and this is more like just from my knowledge, but in hockey, do they test like a peak velocity? Like I know they test like a, a sprint test on skates, but is there like a peak velocity metric? And in a game, how often would they hit that metric if there is one? I wouldn't say there's a standard one. You know what I mean? Like there is no, that's a problem with hockey too. Like historically, it's just not there. You know, whereas you could look at American football, you could look at soccer, rugby. They have like really good or really uh, in-depth historical knowledge and hockey just, you know, isn't there because a lot of it, you know, even for like the big NHL combine, which is a far, you know, a shadow of what the NFL combine is. They don't even do any on ice testing. Mm. Think about that. Like it's, the sport is still not fully understanding what that means or what to even test. Right. So I don't know if I even have an answer for that. I think there's, there's things that, you know, some of the guys that I mentioned are working on, you know, to validate, Hey, is, does that, you know, does it, does peak velocity matter in a, you know, probably a 10 yard to 15 yard distance? I would say it does, right? Yeah. Because 
and this is just my own belief, but I feel like most sports are played in a 10 by 10 yard box. You know, if you can get your first three to five steps and get to the ball, the puck or whatever first, and you're in a good position to, you know, stop and know what to do with the the play next, you're going to win. You know, if you're out of control, but you get there first, but you don't know what to do because you're shit position or whatever, you know, I, t- I try to teach my athletes to this, you know, we're going to move well, but we're going to move with control, you know, and I think that's, it's easy to say, but it's, you get these guys that have these big engines and they, they want to go places, but they don't have the, the fluidity or the smoothness to like get in and out of those positions. Yeah. You know, with life efficiency. I'll be interested to see some of the sprint metrics done on ice. Like for example, and I, I, and then see that, see if they produce that same signature off the ice, for example, like off the ice, let's measure how much horizontal force they produce in the early acceleration, how much power they produce, what velocity do they reach and what does their acceleration curve look like? Like how long does it take them to accelerate? Like, or how long is their acceleration part? Meaning like, how long does it take to reach their peak velocity? And what's the drop off from that peak acceleration metric? And then look at hockey and say on on ice, do you have the same level of acceleration or force ability? And how quickly does it drop off? And look at some other things like, um, I think a cool one would be like hip projection distance. So from zero on that first stride, how fast does your hip project and how far? I, I guess it would be different because there's no like, we use touchdown distance. So how far is your foot touchdown from your center? But maybe, um, well, it's interesting too, because, you know, in, in watching you guys do your thing on the field, one thing that if I only took one thing from it, which I took many, but it was that word of projection yeah. to me that just totally like, yeah, like that's the word, that's the word that I've been looking for, but not been able to use or not been able to find. And now when I say that to guys, it's like for the majority that, that light comes on because yeah. so many hockey guys will just pop out and then go Yeah, for whatever reason. And I start talking to them like, look, I'm not going to tell you how to play hockey. That's a bad idea. But the things that I'm talking about that we're doing on the field about projecting out first and then rise with your body, yeah. right? Like that type of, I said, that's that can transfer directly to hockey. Well, the fact that you're popping up out of the, whether you have like skates on or not, is not good. You know, like as simple as that, that's not good. It's about pushing out first. And I think there's so many, and we've done some on and off ice, like, you know, that 10 meter sprint um, correlation. And a lot of the time their off ice sprint is faster because of, in my opinion, technical skating ability. And that goes back to what I said before, like there is no real system to teach skating that is like universally and like with sprinting, I think you would probably agree that there's definitely more of like a, you know, pathway to elite sprinting, right? Like there's, there's just a lot of different theories. Like, right, right. Having nine is almost better than having a hundred million. Right. It's like, I mean, road yeah. is, is muddy, is, is very muddy. But um, yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. But yeah, that I mean, projection key, man, is is huge for me because it's, you know, I feel like a lot of hockey guys they they and you'll understand this like they they level change too much, 
you know, like, especially moving laterally or even accelerating, like, why are you coming up? You know, why are you changing that? And you talk about hip projection. Uh, that's an interesting one to me too, because like so many of these young guys are, are popping up or changing levels too many times. And I'm, I mean, my thought, my response to them is like, you're wasting energy. Like yeah. that takes work. Yeah. I don't think learn how to play low and stay low and you're going to be a lot more efficient and you're going to be able to move better, you know? So that's one of the things that, that, that clicks with me. Is there a, um, okay. Cause like in sprinting, we have air time. So it's like you have a contact, you leave the contact into air time. Your air time is like supposed to be average. It's not supposed to be good or bad. It's just somewhere in the middle. Is there something similar for skating, like glide time between strides or between touchdowns or, is there um, anything like that, or is that am I off on that? No, no, no. There. Um, it's funny. Matt Price and I were talking about this. There is like, um, there is a glide time. There's a glide time, and there's a return to. I don't know what he how, how he described it. Like a return to the skate underneath the hips, almost like a cycle, I guess, for sprinting. Yeah. Um, I can't reference the numbers. I'm not going to even try, but. Um, yes, there there are those metrics. It's just nobody's really put meaning to them, and I don't mean it that in a bad way. I just said like it's just not common enough yet to say, oh yeah, it's this because yeah. Again, I think it goes back to the fact that it's the wild west in terms of well, this is how you teach someone how to skate, right? right. And then you ask the best skaters, and the, in my opinion, the best is I rate as smoothness. Right, as as it's just like you would in sprinting. You watch Usain Bolt sprint; it looks effortless. Yeah, right. Like it's just you know you exchange him with anybody that he's racing against. The same thing, right? Like it it's effortless. When you see a good skater, it looks like they're not trying yeah. because they're yeah. just so efficient. Yeah, makes sense. Like in sprinting, it's kind of interesting because like a lot of people are reverse engineered. Like, oh, it's let's take Usain Bolt. Here's his frequency. Here's his length. But he's a little bit of an anomaly. He actually had relatively average frequency. Really? Yeah. If you look at, I mean, average in terms of the rest of the field, like right. opposite to the rest of the world, but he had such ridiculous length because obviously his, his legs are longer um, and he had great horizontal projection and strength. But um, a lot of times in sprinting, people try to fit people into a box like, oh, this guy ran five, uh, five hertz frequency, like you need to run five hertz frequency, but some of that is determined by uh, mom and dad, and some of that, <laughs> some of that you can, you can fix. So, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, I've been watching the figure skaters over. I'm, I'm at where your old job was, so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm watching them every day. But they're incredible, then, absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, I haven't seen the Ducks practice. I'm assuming I don't know anything about NHL. Are they out of season? No, no, it's it's gone right now. They're they're playing a uh, fifty six game schedule. What? Yeah, I need to I need to pop my head in there one day. Yeah. I heard they have a ten eighty and they don't use it. So well, that's one of the things that I bought that they don't use. So I I'll connect you with Matt Price. You you'd enjoy chatting with him. And he'll connect me for sure because I got some yeah. ideas. I built a um, actually I just did this with a with a couple U.S. soccer players. One of them, she was coming out of college. And she was looking to play professional, make the national team, but she felt like maybe it's like a, a bigger gap for me to get there because in her position, she needs to be the fastest person on the field. 
and she was running like around 18, 18, five miles per hour, which is good. It's fast, but she's like, I need to be at 20. So we took 12 weeks and just go to program. And essentially all we did was created a load velocity profile. So we determined where her peak power was. We determined what 50% of her peak velocity was. So I think she was running 8.1 meters per second. So her peak velocity ended up being like 4.05. Then we find a resistance to match up with that. We trained her at that. So we trained her at that resistance. I think it was like 23 kg on the 1080. So once she broke through that that barrier and she was running 4.1, 4.2 meters per second with that weight, we dropped it. And then we went to a, a different decrement of velocity. So we went to a 40% decrement of velocity. So now her next phase was like, she had to hit five meters per second. So we just kept doing that all the way down until she started running high velocity. Mm-hmm. Outcome was she ran 20.6 miles per hour. Jesus. And um, had her first start on the US national team. She ran the fastest time in camp. Um, the fastest, like the highest velocity in camp. Wow. Scored her first goal two minutes into her first start. Huh. Wow, that's amazing. It's it's insane. So we it was a it was a theory we were playing around with all year, all summer, testing, testing, testing. Oh, that didn't work, throw it out. And what we were doing early on is we were doing the heavy sled stuff, but we were going too far. So we were having them run like 20 meters. And when we looked at the data, they were hitting their peak velocities at like five or six meters. So the rest of it just ended up being speed endurance. So right. what we did is we shortened the amount. So we figured out where do they hit their velocity and just literally track it. So they're they're hitting that velocity, but only in a capped area of time. And then our early acceleration period was like, we, it was more of an accumulation, more hypertrophy, more, it's more concentric. So we were doing more reps. And as we got faster, less reps. So really simple, push the distance further, do less reps as you get faster. Then we did it again. And, um, we did it with another player, same thing, same result. So anyway, like with combine, kind of the same thing, same philosophy, but what I went, what I was thinking about from a, a hockey perspective, it, to me, it seems like a lot of it is physiological changes versus technical. So like for my, for the combine guys that I'm working with, I give them like a full, like, here's an eight week progression. And a lot of the changes are going to be physical, but there's also a lot of technical stuff. I got to teach you the three point start. I got to teach you the timing, um, getting into frequency. You should get into your peak frequency within like a step or two, at least 90% of it. So here's how you do that. There's a lot of technical things because a lot of it has to do with how they swing that leg into the ground. But for hockey, I feel like it would work even better because the physiological changes that drive that entire process that I just gave are massive, are massive. If I, if I had a perfectly technical athlete, I could take them from eight meters per second to 10 meters per second in a few weeks. So yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because again, you you talk about the difference between like, you know, the football, um, graduation or the football lineage, right? And it's like, by the time they get to the age of 20, 21, they have like four to six years of training age built up. Well, right. Like for the most part, right. Like, you know, your last year of high school and then maybe, you know, obviously four years of NCAA, like that's, that's your training age. That's what you're building. When you get to the NFL, you know how to lift, 
right? You know, you know what you can lift for the most part. Well, hockey's the opposite. Yeah. They get drafted at 18. And so you get drafted in June, typically at 18 years old. So you're playing junior hockey, which is like, uh, like a feeder league, right? To, to the pros. And when they come to our development camp, they're coming at a training age of, you know, zero to one, literally. You know, like maybe they spent, you know, a summer of training, but to me, that's still under one. You know, they haven't really, and it's a little back to, you know, the culture of hockey and it's just, you know, they'll work out a couple times looking junior, who knows, coach, who knows if they even have a GA, you know, it's still not, it's better. It's a lot better, but it's not where it should be. Right? So when they us at the pros, when they're 18, you're, you're starting from scratch. So like, you're right. If I put 15 pounds on this kid and, you know, put 15 pounds of muscle on this kid and teach him how to lift, yeah, his skating's going to get better. Whether he's a shit skater or not, like, it's going to get better because he can put his foot on the ground up and, you know, produce something, right? So that's where, you know, by the t- again, by the time they're 18, they're already labeled as a, you know, good skater, bad skater, or someone who can improve. Like it's that simple, right? So if you have a, a good skater who's underdeveloped physically, well, then all we have to really do is develop him physically and you're going to see some big changes. And I think that's, you know, you're starting to see that more now with even some of my older players. You know, I commented to a guy the other night, I'm like, man, you look fast. You know, like just the way that you're navigating the ice and whatever. I said, like, he's like, yeah, I feel really good. I said, he's like, I don't feel, you know, like I, I'm fast necessarily, but I feel like I can keep that same speed my whole shift. I'm like, yeah, well, that's the idea. Like is the less gearing up you have to do to get that speed is similar to what you're talking about. Like you should be playing at 80%. Like that's a, and the number is arbitrary, but if you can play, yeah, if you can play a little faster, if you can play in fourth gear and all you have to do is, you know, punch in for, you know, get up to a hundred, like that's efficiency. I'm not, you're in work all the way up we were just talking about that because um williams from the chiefs he had, he had a good day, good game touchdown like 50 yards hit 90 um last game and then tyree kill i got i saw both of those guys um this year just kind of develop a little bit and with tyree like i saw him run a ton this summer we were in texas and um, I saw him running, and he he can hit a velocity of like close to twenty four, if not higher. Like he, he's fast, and they're going crazy over these these games where he's running twenty miles per hour, twenty miles per hour, twenty miles per hour. And I'm like, that's sub max for him. He he's doing that. He he's blowing past guys easy. He could have eight eight game eight plays in a game that are above twenty miles per hour easily, and not be tapped from it because he has such a high uh, velocity. So that ends up being a, an acceleration, which you have much higher threshold. Um, but yeah, and I, and I look at hockey and I'm looking at, it's pretty similar to how other field sports are. If you have to, if 15 miles per hour is your, your peak and you're doing runs at 12, 13, 14 miles per hour all game, it's going to be really hard for you to be efficient later in the game. And you're going to feel in your coach, you're going to say, oh, you need to do more cardio. Right. No, you need to have, <laughs> you need to get a little faster so that 15 miles per hour becomes extremely submaximal, and you can repeat that over and over and over again. 
Well, you know what's funny too, man, and this sounds, you know, maybe kind of dumb, but uh, the, the other thing with ice is that, you know, you only can go so far. Yeah. Right? Like you, and that I think, I think that speaks to experience and like when I talk about a good skater, in my opinion, yes, you're technically proficient at the actual, you know, skating motion, whatever that, whatever that you figure out that is but you also know how to navigate the ice really well, right? Like, you know that if you're at your top end speed and you're not worried about crashing into the boards yep. and, you know, physically hurting yourself, you know, very violently. And I think that's, you know, a big part of it because if you don't know how to navigate the ice, if you're not comfortable, I mean, it's dangerous. Like it's super dangerous. These guys are going, you know, with sharp blades on their feet and sticks in their hands and, you know, obviously there's body contact, they're smashing into each other. So like, I think there's another layer there of, of whether you want to call it confidence or I, I like calling it navigation because I think the guys understand that, you know, I tell them, you know, when you're navigating the ice, like, you know, if you're a defenseman, if you're a, you know, stay at home defenseman, which is basically like, you know, somebody who just gets the puck off a guy and gives it to the other members of his team. Right. So if you're a stay-at-home guy, you're pretty simple, right? You're not real great at any one thing, but you're kind of good at everything and you do your job, but you don't do anything but that. He probably has, you know, four or five paths that he takes on the ice during a game, like tops. So I'm trying to simplify those decisions to improve the confidence of the athlete, right? So if you if you know you only have to do three to five things within your position, let's get really fucking good at those things. Yeah. Do them better, right? Like let's, you got to go from this dot and into the corner and back. Okay, well, we're going to work on that. Like, I don't think you got to make that guy, what you call who's going to skate up the ice and try to score a goal or whatever. This guy's not doing that. Like, so let's simplify him, right? Like, and almost be like a lineman, right? Like you got to do two things, pass block or run block. That's it. So why are we working on, you know, a dive route or whatever the heck, you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, so that's a big part of it too. Yeah. I love it. Well, yeah, I want to be respectful for your time, man. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I got to, I'm going to put some kids to bed here, but we should do it again, man. Like in, uh, I like this kind of format too, just kind of shooting the shit. Thank you for listening to the Les Bowman Podcast. If you could do me two massive favors. First, please rate the podcast and give it five stars if you enjoyed. If you didn't enjoy it, please still give me five stars. <laughs> Second, please share this podcast with another coach, an athlete, or a parent who wants to learn how speed is developed. Thanks again for listening and check out the podcast description to learn more.